Hello, welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me, and today we have the enormous honor and privilege to have the iconic entrepreneur, really the gold standard of customer service worldwide, joining us, Horst Schultze, who many of you know that has set the new standard for hotelier service around the world. He is an entrepreneur, a best-selling author of the book, Excellence Wins, a no-nonsense guide to becoming the best in a world of compromise. Horst Schultze, the co-founder, president and CEO of the Ritz-Carlton, amongst other hotel chains. Welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Nice to be with you. Horst, glad to have you today on this spring morning. You are joining us from your residence off the coast of Florida. Appreciate you taking the time to invest in the millions of people who will ultimately watch and listen to this conversation with someone of your stature. You join many other members of the C-suite across all of our interviews, and I'm delighted to have you for about 30 minutes today pouring into our guests, our, our listeners, and our viewers. Hortz, would you take a few minutes first and talk about what your history was as a small child growing up in Germany and how this unnatural passion for hospitality and the hotel business developed in you somewhat at the kind of ire of your family and friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how it developed, but with, I was 11 when I went to my parents and said, I want to work in a hotel business. They said, yeah, because it had no meaning when you're 11. But I kept on insisting on it. And crying for it and so on so in the beginning no i've never been in a hotel before i've never been in a restaurant before that was after the war years in a small village in germany i finally my parents inquired about it they were told that it's ideal if he would start in a very very good hotel sure enough they found the job in the finest hotel in the region unfortunately that was 100 kilometers away from home, very far at the time. I went there, lived. Before I got there, my parents said, we could never go to a hotel like that. This is only a hotel for only fine ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, all right, I got there. The general manager welcomed my mother. My mother took me there. And I and said, now, you are here to learn how to serve, serve very important ladies and gentlemen. Don't be envious. You are, learn, you are learning to serve people. They are very important ladies and gentlemen, and you are here to help them. I was clear. But I have to, I have to put this in because it changed my life. The next, I meet the maitre d' of the hotel, the man in charge of food and beverage. And he said, tomorrow, show up at 7 a.m., for your start here, but don't come to work. Come here to create excellence in what you're doing. Now at 14, I went right over my head, believe me. Uh, excellence in washing dishes, cleaning floors, and so on. And if you're lucky, if you're, if you're really advanced, you're able to clean a table. But I stayed in a boardroom and with four other kids. And uh, slowly I learned what that Medhi was telling me because he was a person of excellence. He defined himself as a, as a person of excellence. Eventually I wrote an essay in, in a hotel school, which I named, we are ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. It, after two years in, you know, I, once a week, typical German upbringing, you work and once in a week, you go to your trade school where all the kids from the area come that work in restaurants and hotels. 
And uh, I, I looked at that melody. The guests were proud when they came to the table. And I was wondering, what is the reversal? We are here to serve them. They are important, we are not. But truly, the guest in the restaurant thought he was the most important man in the room. So did we, the employees. Simply because he was a man of excellence. He defined himself as a fine gentleman. And it occurred to me when I wrote that essay, when I was 16, that I can define myself. That we are all have a chance to define ourselves and don't have to wait for the world to define us. By creating excellence, we are not servants. Even if we serve, we are done in that moment, we become ladies and gentlemen in, in the profession of serving other, lady, other ladies and gentlemen. And I was very, became very clear, I changed my life. This man truly impacted my life dramatically. Horts, that has gone on to become one of the most iconic repeated phrases in the world. The fact of the matter is you coined it back when you were a teenager working for this yeah. maitre d' who you describe as you know, the most important person in the restaurant as viewed both by the staff and the customers. You, know, you and Dr. Covey were friends, the co-founder of our company. We have been associated with you and your brands for decades. And Dr. Covey spoke about the power of transition figures in our lives, that if we're fortunate in our lives, we'll have several people that will be transformative in how we view ourselves, our contribution, people that will perhaps even believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. This one particular gentleman, this maitre d', was an early transition figure for you. Have there been others throughout your career that, that had an impact yeah. like he did? Yes, I was very fortunate to run into others that impacted me in a very positive way. Uh, let's face it, Scott, we all are the result of impact. There are, uh, what impact people have on us and how we accept. And if we're lucky, we have good people impacting us. Uh, we, we follow, if you will, after we are about 15 or 14, 15, we follow role, role models in a way he was a role model and others became role models and what they're doing that they admired and respect and i was very lucky i saw other people leaders from whom i learned and whom i who impacted my life but but probably no one more than that matter the if i can tell you just the, 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 the huge impact that he had a few years later i was working in san francisco in the hilton as a room service waiter and i knew I would get the next promotion, the room service supervisor. And my intent was then to go back to Europe and follow my career there after having a promotion. And it was very clear that I would get it because I was by far the best waiter there. And by the way, the, the, the room service manager was German. So I, that was my job. And the next promotion came up and I didn't get it. And of course my reaction was typical, stupid management and so on. Until a few months later, I admitted to myself that one that got the promotion deserved it more. He, I came late a little bit, a few minutes, only a few minutes in the morning sometime because I was tired from partying in the evening. When the, 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 the manager of room service asked to do some side work like folding napkin or whatever, I said, why me, why not the other, et cetera, et cetera. When I realized that I went back to my little furnished room in the Tenderloin district in San Francisco, ugly room and talked to the maitre d'. Now, obviously he wasn't there. He had passed away and he didn't show up, but I talked to him and I apologized. And I said, I went to work to work. 
And he had reminded me before I left, mm. never go to work for work. Always go to work for excellence. Make the decision for excellence. I talked to him, I apologized that I went to work and it never happened again. I honestly never happened again. Oh, I'm sure I had days in between, but I managed myself to make a decision every morning. You know, Scott, our destiny is not luck. It's the decisions that we made, make. And I made a decision for that excellence. And, and, and excellence, in a way, excellent actually is, I write a book about excellence. Excellence is the decision for high intent and hard work. I made a decision that time for high intent, that I would get promoted, that I would have a great career, that I love my career. And it's decisions that we make, particularly if you're leaders, we made it, have to make the decision for excellence for all concerned. Horst, you are the co-founder and chairman of the Capella Hotel Group. Prior to that, you were the co-founder, president, and COO of the Ritz-Carlton brand, two of the most you know, uh, uh, significant hotel names you would know in the business worldwide. Has your career always been a series of deliberate decision, decisions? Has there been some serendipity? How would you describe your career journey? Well, after that incident, mostly very, very careful decisions. By the way, Capella Hotel Company, which probably nobody heard of, uh, uh, President Trump met Kim there in, in one of our hotels in Singapore. And in fact, this morning I saw an interview, somebody saying he was being interviewed from, uh, from our hotel in Singapore. I'm, I sold the company, but it is now rated number one in the world, as Ritz Carlton was for nearly all the time that I was leading it, was number one in the world. And mind you, we were in in five continents and in every location, the Ritz-Carlton was voted at the time number one in their location. Hmm. So the philosophy of creating excellence and, and turn it over to good people works. Hortz, what's changed about the customer? In your 50 plus year, 60 plus year career, 70 plus year career, because you started very young, what has changed the most hey, fundamentally. God, 70 years. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 70 years. This is true. I was being gracious. Uh, yeah, what, thank you. I appreciate it. Horst, what has changed the most and what has not changed at all? Uh, isn't that interesting? I mean, there's an interesting question because I was recently spoke to a hotel group, a classic hotel, uh, hotels, first class group, first class people. And, and before me was a speaker that talked about that everything has changed. And, and I heard that constantly being mentioned that everything has changed. It, it's absolutely not true. That's absolutely not true. Basically nothing has changed. Sure, styles, formality, and delivery systems have changed. But believe me, the guests of yesterday wanted that we respect them and take good care of them. The guest today wants to be respected and taken care of. The guest tomorrow, or the, or the don't have to call him guest. He may be a parishioner. He may be a client. He may be whatever you call them. The guest tomorrow or the client or the customer tomorrow still want to be respected and taken care of. That doesn't change. So the fundamental expectation of the customer, what does the customer want really? Subconsciously, every customer, no matter what you purchase, wanted and will want that the product is defect free 
that it is delivered timely and that we care and respect them. Mm. Now, how we do that, the delivery system, the high tech supports and so on, that will change, but not the key element, what the customer wants. It won't change. If I sentence myself to think that everything has changed, how can I, how can I now concentrate on the caring, the respect that the customer wants? I can't, I can't concentrate on him anymore because I, I wonder what, how he, he and she has changed. I heard the silly stories and speeches all the time. It's, it's, it's baloney. You would argue that the fundamental principles of relationships, people treating each other with respect, have, haven't changed at all. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that, that expectation that you have as a customer, that you want a product that is defect-free, that they want it timely, and that you want the people who deal with you, that they respect you and take you serious. That is not change and it won't change. So if I know that, I have to take those three elements and create processes behind it so that I can deliver it and create it the way the customer wants it. But in addition to that, and that has not changed, but it is much more dominant today that the customer today wants individualization. Meaning, and that wasn't so true 40, 50 years ago. For, for us, even people my age, if I go to a McDonald's, I must say I have a number one. The millennium, millennial comes in and said, I have a number one, but I have two slices of tomato, half a pickle, no by mayonnaise, and they much more individualize what they want. Well, so if I know that, that that is the expectation of the market today, then I better respond to that and have, so now I have to add new processes to be flexible to, in, to the individualization. But at the same time, I still have to create great processes, processes, no defect, timeliness and caring. Those processes still have to be developed in what I'm serving, selling or whatever. But, but I now have to be, create a process of flexibility so that I can respond to the individualization of each person that we face as a customer. Horch, on that point, the teams that you have led over your you know, decades as an executive officer, founder, CEO, chairman, you've won many quality awards, right? The Malcolm, uh, Malcolm uh, Baldrige Awards Award. and others like that. And I'm guessing that's because of the institutionalized standards of quality that you and your teams have put in. Um, do you think that employees are inherently motivated or do you think it's the role of leadership to help motivate employees to uh, a world-class quality standard? Well, it, it, that's, that's leadership's business. That, that is the role of leadership, to create an environment in which the, customer, which the employees want to do the job. Yeah. Is it management, if management, Good management understands what the market wants. The market is over here. And the good management makes sure that the employees, which are over here, know what the customer expects from your product. And then management creates processes, systems, controls, measurements to deliver this to the customer with the employees. Leadership creates an environment where the employees want to do 
what the customer expects. So, you know, and, and so, and the leadership creates that, and it starts with the selection of employees, with the orientation of employees, and with the ongoing environment that the employee has. There's an ongoing communication has to go on. They have to, the, the, the first thing is of course teaching, what is it that in our service to the market, and, and everyone is in service. And I mean, some people say, we are, we, we are not, we are in business to business. What a baloney statement. Just, your business still has a person that deals with somebody in the other company. Okay, so, so you're in a service business. Think, what is service? And that, that's the issue when you talk to service people, it, it is not, there's no evaluation with service. Service starts the instant we make contact. That instant, not a half a second later, welcome. Or oh, that could be on, on computer. Online banking, well, there has to be a great welcome and an ease to deal with you. The next step is not about you anymore. It's about your customer. It's not about you. It's about the customer. What am I doing now to do to help that customer to make the very best decision about my product? And the next step is farewell. You know, I have to break it down that man so I can process it that way. So I can make sure it happens that way. So the, the, so that does all those things don't end. And, and what do we, but here's the biggest problem that we have. I mean, I hear it's difficult to get employees and I hear employee turnover and all this stuff. Come on, it, it, if, if, if they are bad employees, Whose fault is it that the employee is not very good? It's not his fault or her fault. You are the one that hired him. So it starts with you. And next, you are the one that oriented them to your organization. What did you do during orientation? Turn them, turn the new waiter, hypothetically waiter, turn them over, build the new waiter, turn them over to Joe after you filled all kind of, after you gave them all kind of rules and regulations and handbooks and baloney, turn them over to Joe and Joe on the way to the kitchen tells the new way that this company sucks. That's his, op or, that's his orientation. What do we expect will happen? And now in, in Ritz-Carlton or in Capella, every hotel that was opened during my tenure, I oriented the employees to who we were. Here's our heart and our soul. Don't come to work here. Join me in creating excellence. Allow the employee to become part of your organization. I mean, people need being part. The largest employee survey ever made about this long time, I have to admit, 25 years ago or so, was for 3 million people. The number one expectation those employees expressed is they want to feel part. Money was number six. Yes, we, we, when somebody leaves, we always say, either we said he, they were not good or we say they left for more money. It's not true. They didn't feel part of your organization. So uh, that's leadership to create that environment of belonging, the environment of be, be, join me in my, and being part and join me, join me for a dream, the dream of the becoming the finest hotel company in the world. And here's my motive. So that we grow, so you will have opportunity so we have more guests, so you will have more income. So we will be respected, so you will be respected. 
it's belonging that we have to create as leaders when we know that people need belonging and purpose. Hordes. But we offer a function. We offer a function. That's gonna... what we really offer. That's what we hire them for a function. And the chair on which I'm sitting here is fulfilling a function. But we are hiring human beings. I'm going to invite you to take that a step further. You talk about um, you know, how employees have to see themselves connected to part of a larger vision. Uh, yeah. how, give us a Hortz-Schultze management course in a couple of minutes. What does that look like in a day-to-day -day beha day -day behavior of ma managers and leaders? What, what do they say and do other than onboarding? What do you do day-to-day -to, -day to make sure that your teams of people see themselves connected to something bigger than themselves? Yeah. Well. Uh, in doing the onboarding, uh, the, the, I think the third day of onboarding, uh, we explained the 20 points that are non-negotiable in our company. It doesn't matter where we are. The managers always said, well, you don't understand, I'm in Shanghai. And I said, I know that you're in Shanghai. But those 20 things are non-negotiable. That's who we are, Ritz Carlton. So we taught those 20 non-negotiables the third day of onboarding. And from there on, we repeat one of those points. You cannot go to work. Mind you, we are a 24-hour business. You cannot go to work without, again, hearing the, the non-negotiable of the day, the gold standard of the day, whatever you call it. And today, it may be number, simple things, by the way, in most cases, it may be number 11. But today, the number 11 would be discussed in every hotel, 24 hours, every shift, you cannot go to work, it will be discussed today. And it's, uh, number 11 happens to be, if you get a complaint, you own it. You don't say, uh, when, if you're the, 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 the waiter in the coffee shop, that uh, your t that's not my TV if it didn't work and the guest complains. You say, please forgive me about my TV and I will make amends. We certified each employees to know that. So that's being taught today. In 20 days, it will be taught again. So there is a five mm. to 10 minutes meeting before every shift. But mm. in that discussion, that we also share what's going on in the company. If their employees, they, they have to know what's going on in the company. Here's what we're doing. Here got, here's who got promoted. Here's where we have a new contract for a new hotel in Nanjing or wherever, and sort of we inform the employees after all they're part of your company. We keep on doing that. So what do we do with that? First of all, we told them what's right and what's wrong are non-negotiable. Second, we connected them to the happening in the company. So we created the same narrative in each hotel. With other words, we accomplished the same culture if that was Atlanta or Shanghai or Berlin in each hotel. And that's why people called me and said, Horst, I just walked into your hotel in Sharm el Sheikh. It looks totally different, but I could tell in three minutes that it's a Ritz Carlton. Well, sure. The name of a company should be just a name. The name of a company should be a promise that you live by wherever you are. And that moment, it's a brand. Horst, what I heard you say there was that under your leadership, there were team huddles every day of the week before each shift, where not just there was well, an each update. Each department, each right? shift, yes. And in that huddle, two main things happened. One was, what's happening in the organization that you need to know about? And let's revisit these 
principles that we teach to make sure that they are ever-present in everyone's minds and they're exhibited in your behaviors and you cycled through that nonstop? Nonstop. One principle a day, and so, and, and so it repeats every 20 days. Now, you know, the funny thing is, and of course, all of a sudden, and when we started that, after a year, I find out some hotels are not doing it anymore. So I asked the manager, wait a minute, we agreed that that is essential. Well, Horst, uh, it's near, nearly embarrassing. They, they all know it. They all, oh, so I got every manager together and asked the question, is there anybody in the room who doesn't know what Coca-Cola is? Nobody is there. So, so, hey, so you all know it. But guess what? Coca-Cola knows that you know what Coca-Cola is. Yet, they spend billions of advertising to keep it front of mind. Why wouldn't we keep front of mind that which, will, which we know will make us the finest hotel company in the world. And, and, and then, of course, some things are so important that it's, not, it's also non-negotiable that they do it every day. And uh, frankly, I made it clear then, I love you all, but if I catch you not doing it, <laughs> I will fire you. Mm. You know, sometimes, you know, in leadership and creating environment where people want to do it, sometimes there still have to be no compromise rules. Hortz, look back on your 70-year career. Is there, <laughs> is there a key learning that you would share with our viewers and listeners that has transformed the way you look at your reputation, your brand, your contribution, as the result of something you did wrong, a decision you made that ended up poorly? the way you treated someone. Would you show some vulnerability, which I know you will? What can we yeah, learn well, from your biggest mistake and that, how that became a moment of truth for you? Yeah, yeah I, I, I can tell you, and it's unfortunate, isn't that, well, it's about 45 years ago or so. Uh, I worked as food and beverage director in uh, High Ridge, Chicago, and I had an assistant. And it, he, it just didn't work out. It, it, it was not possible, so in my, executive meeting in the morning. Now, my, I, mind you, I was rooms, I was a, a executive assistant in charge of food and beverage operations. And we had a meeting where also would, would be the, the guy in charge of rooms operation. Yeah. In the morning, I told them, I have to let so-and-so go. I will let him go. He's just not making it. He, he, he's not making it. And uh, the rooms manager said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I think he's a nice guy. Do you mind if I hire him? <laughs> you, you can have him. I, you, you must be crazy. I, I, I'm telling you, it's not worth it. He hired him, and the young man that joined in the room submission became very successful. He was excellent. And I, had a, I, I really agonized at that. It, was, it bothered me. I, I knew what I, actually, what I did, if you will, I didn't individualize in this case again. Mm. I, and from there on, I made sure that I had, for my key direct reports, I had an outside person develop a profile so that I, I knew how to deal with that person individually. And that helped dramatically. That helped me dramatically. So particularly if there, if there was a discussion that was serious, I pulled out that profile and learned that's who he, who he or she is. And it, it really made a major leadership impact on me 
to not generalize only, but deal with people as individual human beings. I, I'm, I'm happy to happen to be involved with a school district uh, and, and uh, consulting with and so on. And our mission is to become the benchmark in America. That's our mission, our vision. And, and what, we are, what, what we are discussing ongoing is we cannot just teach the class the same thing. We have to, indivi the, the individual, different learning, different everything. And we have to know that in our businesses, that's true too. That is just simply true, you know. Hortz, by most measures, you are living your life in crescendo at the age in your mid 80s. As you look back as one of the most iconic names in the history of hospitality, what do you hope is your legacy? <laughs> well, I, well, I hope that the, uh, I, I, you, know, you, you may know I got a credit award from Stephen. He said at the time he only gave it to, to uh, uh, Gorbachev and uh, Kissinger and me. I don't know if that's true. I think that is true. <laughs> yes, sir. But, but I have it. And that was on leadership. And of course, uh, the, 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 the other one is the Ishikawa Award, which is excellence in the human element of quality. And, and, and I hope that I can make an impact in understanding that we don't hire machines to fulfill fulfill fill function, that we actually hire human beings. That finally, that if you're a leader, the greatest honor that you have there is to help impact positively the life of others. And I hope that is understood. We have it. We, we, you know, there's this immense thing that, you know, now the, the difficulty is that people don't understand. And I, I teaching that other, my, my managers, and then they, they compromise over here with somebody. And I said, wait a minute, what are you doing here? Well, you are the one who said, be nice to everybody. That's not what I'm saying. You should respect everybody, honor everybody. But that doesn't mean you can compromise because if you're a great leader, if you're truly a great leader, you have, be, you have developed a great vision for your company, what it will be 10 years ago. You have developed a destination for your company, but you have questioned yourself very careful. Is this purpose, is this, the, the, this destination of value for all concerned? Is it good for the, the investors? Without it, you have nothing. Is it good for every customer? Without them, you have nothing. Is it good for every employee? And why? Is it good for society as a whole? And, and if you are spiritual, question yourself, would God approve? If the answer is a clear yes, then you as a leader have no more rights to compromise it. And I wish that would be understood more. Because, you know, there's a dichotomy, is a, is a, there seems to be a dichotomy in people's mind to be strong and, 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 and human resource or, or when do, one is not strong, but it's not strong. You, you must be strong. You must be very strong to say you have no right to compromise because if you, if you truly decided what you're doing is good for everybody. 
know, and I hope that more people understand that. And if, if, if I can convince people to accept this more fully, to truly sit down and agonize, where will this company be? Where do I want this company to be in 10 years from? I, I, look, I read so many vision statements. They're not vision statements, they're mission statements. We do this with excellence to our customer. Oh, that, that's what you do, that's a mission. Where will it take you? Hmm. Is it a beautiful place? And you know, and even if you get there, the beauty will be the journey to get there. Hort Schultze, what an honor to be in your virtual presence today. Your legacy and your contribution is far broader than I think you and your family will ever know. You are an icon, not just in hospitality, but in anybody that's trying to come not to work to work, but to serve. Sir, thank you for your time. Your book is Excellence Wins, a no-nonsense guide to becoming the best in a world of compromise. Sir, thank you today for your generosity. Great to be with you, Scott. Thank you, sir. We'll see you back here next week for another C-Suite conversation with Scott Miller. <music>